0: I V M
1: Welcome to All Things Policy a daily podcast supported by Pragati a flagship media initiative of the Prachshila Institution We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru and we like to bring fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs So grab a cup of coffee sit back and join us for today's chat
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of All Things Policy. My name is Suman, and I have with me my colleague Apoor. Today, we are going to discuss or at least try to understand what India's hunger and nutrition challenge is. The topic itself is very vast, and we would not be able to cover all facets or all challenges regarding this. But we hope to give you an overview of the entire challenge that is before. The country yeah the whole i mean it has been in the news the last whole week because we saw a paper uh, or a news item being published that the global hunger index which is published by an irish aid organization and a german ngo actually ranked india 101 out of 116 countries and as always this has created much furore in the press we don't want. I mean, the index is one thing, but we need to understand the entire landscape, the entire challenge that is before us. The index is just a measure. However, to understand this reality, we need we need a lot more in depth analysis. And there is no better person than Apur, who has done significant amount of work in the development sector. He is currently with us working as. Uh, staff program manager. He will help us understand basic concepts and then we can talk about the index itself. Apur, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks, uh, Suman. And uh, I think what has uh, uh, happened, uh, Suman, is that two interesting reports or studies have been published in a span of one month. So Global Hunger Index of 2000 of of 2021 which was published this week but we also sort of uh, need to understand that uh, a few weeks ago PLOS published a report which says that Indian adults and specifically in the age of 15 to 25 and 26 to 50 their average heights are actually declining uh, with respect to other adults worldwide and uh, the authors who are public health scholars and nutrition scholars uh, they argue that we have to move beyond genetics because the conventional understanding is that it is because of the genes, the specific Indian genes, that the heights of Indian adults, both men and women, or children are, that's why their their heights are low. Uh, and there has been a sort of ferocious and, and a sort of at, at times a very argumentative debates a few years ago between a few scholars which I will come come to after a short while and they argue that it is because of genes Indian genes and genetic sort of altering that is why the average uh, height of Indian adult or Indian children are low as compared to others so um, uh, but several.
0: so are you I mean that becomes an easy cover to you know, mask other things, right? Then you blame that economies. becomes
1: an easy cover to mask other things. Yeah, yeah, because uh, that's where I, I mean, in 2013, Arvind Panagria, uh, economist, uh, he published a paper in I think July or August 2013. I think it was that year when I <laughs> when I ventured into development sector, and this debate became really very interesting. Uh, so he published a paper of uh, in the in, in EPW in which he argued that it is because of genetics. And some of the flawed methodology that WHO uh, adopts—that is why the average, uh, that is uh, the prevalence of malnutrition and specifically stunting, which is uh, the height uh, per uh, height uh, per age ratio—is is is prevalence of stunting is high in India as compared to sub-Saharan Africa countries. So uh, he used ex- uh, sort of you know examples of eleven sub-Saharan African countries, and he has compared the life expectancy infant mortality rate under 5 mortality rate with India and he shows that life expectancy is better in India as compared to sub-Saharan African countries and infant mortality rate and other child mortality rates are lower in India. But for some very weird reason, the stunt prevalence of stunting in India is higher in India as compared to sub-Saharan African countries. Uh, Because of this paradox, so he argues that this paradox may be due to better health facilities in India as compared Better as compared to sub Saharan African countries, and this is and stunting could be because of genetic uh, factors and not because of you know, maybe you know, other factors such as gender or, or, or sanitation or malnutrition. To counter his views, there were several scholars who published their sort of pieces and rebuttals in the subsequent issues of EPW saying that no i think this is a wrong sort of an assessment and there are several other factors such as status of women the low birth weight of the child could be because of, of, of an anemic mother and low birth weight mother maternal health. Uh, it could also absolutely absolutely so maternal health is is completely correlates to the uh, nutrition uh, and the and the healthy healthy baby so that that could be one factor disease due to poor sanitation could be other factor breastfeeding could be other factor the status and the agency of women in a society or in a family could be other factors so so this is what uh, i think lay of the land in uh, india is with respect to malnutrition i would just like to add another sort of point here that this is what is also called a south asian enigma and this term was coined by in 1996 by a uh, uh, scholar uh, ramalinga swami And he said that, this is precisely what he said, that in India, uh, Pakistan, and Bangladesh, we have high per capita incomes, low child mortality rates, uh, but uh, significantly higher stunting rates than sub-Saharan African countries. And that is why he said that we need to focus, our focus should be beyond genetics, and we should focus on other factors that I have just spoken about.
0: Yeah, again, when you're talking about this South Asian enigma, we, I mean, in common parlance, we tend to compare, you know, all these uh, nutrition or health or any of these, you know, parameters as such. We compare them with more developed countries. And that is a flaw that most of us make. That is a mistake that most of us make. So the right frame to actually compare is what i have understood from reading is actually to compare china because of the number of people you know the size the population size uh bangladesh because of how recently they started on their development uh, trajectory and vietnam for because they, we have comparative per capita incomes so is that a right uh, way to look at this whole thing i mean comparing with with the other south asian countries do you think that is a good comparison to make
1: right yeah we can compare uh india with respect to other south asian countries so, so when, uh, as long as we are aware of nutrition specific that are direct factors and nutrition sensitive or indirect factors that impact a chi- child's uh, nutrition status so nutrition specific factors could be access to food food security or the health of a mother whereas nutrition sensitive could be not so direct factors such as status of a woman or sanitation, disease, ecosystem, environments and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Right? I get so that. I think, now, have...
0: I think now that that distinction is clear because otherwise hmm. we tend to mix up all of them as direct causes right. for, for right. malnutrition, right? Yeah, that's good.
1: Right. Right. So you you mentioned Bangladesh, and I think Bangladesh is a is a very is an outlier and is is a, is a key, classic case study to to understand what you know what kind of policies could work and improve nutrition uh, status in a country. Now Bangladesh has per capita income lesser than India, but off late they are doing far better uh, than India just because their focus has been on nutrition sensitive. Uh, factors so education of of women empowerment of women sanitation cleanliness disease vector borne disease water borne disease so all the because of the focus of uh, on all these factors they have been able to reduce the prevalence of of stunting and malnutrition in their country.
0: Okay, that's that's very interesting. The other uh, uh, interesting thing I read was Vietnam. Okay, Vietnam and India both had. Uh, similar trajectories in terms of you know economic growth etc but large poverty reductions happened because of set of economic reforms but Vietnam recorded large reductions in malnutrition or any of those but in the corresponding period of good economic growth that was not true for India i mean it is it is really uh, perplexing to see why that could be so because i think their approach was more on specific programs for nutrition enhancement and you know i mean you know re- reduction ex- in expenditure based poverty and calorie based undernutrition that is that has been their focus however in india we have you know tried to dif- tried different things and that I mean, of course, there are a lot of things to learn from what has happened with what we have learned through the years in India. But I think it's important to keep in mind what others have done so that, you know, you know, we could inculcate a few of these things going forward. Yeah, so having discussed the basics of it, we'd like to take a quick break. We'll come back and study the uh, architecture, the, the service delivery architecture in India, as well as we will talk about the... Uh, health health index itself and what was what what was wrong what was right in it welcome back i hope you guys are having a good time listening to this and this is providing you some food for thought so we will go on to what how is how are all these nutrition and health schemes actually you know implemented in india so, Apur, can you tell us something about broad uh, contours of the architecture that deliver these schemes or deliver nutrition and health outcomes, uh, you know, to, to
1: the vast masses in India? Uh, right. So I think India has had a wide range of uh, delivery architecture or or mechanisms with respect to nutrition and food so we have our public distribution system which is the pds we also have integrated child development scheme icds uh, midday meal schemes and in like 2013 we also had the national food security act uh, that made Uh, access to food kind of a fundamental right right earlier it was not articulated as a fundamental right but after 2013 it is now a fundamental right so this is these are some of the the schemes which are there at the the national level apart from that there are state level schemes also and when I say state so some states have done really very well in in food distribution and making sure that the that the children and the lactating mothers and the pregnant mothers are getting uh, food and food supplements. Karnataka is a prime example. And I think Chhattisgarh did really very well in past few years. Some other states, uh, Kerala and Tamil Nadu, of course, they 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 are always the outliers they have done uh, very well when it comes to distribution of food and, and food supplements uh, some of the states because of weak state capacity because of leakages and because of several other factors they have not been able to do uh, that well uh, and someone i think if you are listeners and uh, we would recall that few years ago there were deaths due to starvation in some states because uh, uh because of the 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 citizens were not able to access the food and one of the reason was because once you start ta- you know making these schemes as, as targeted schemes and once you sorry. have the risk of exclusion, exclusion. <laughs> so you exclude absolutely so there is a risk of ab- uh, exclusion that is why you know scholars and economists like jaundres and amartya Sen, they say that you need to universalize these schemes and and just do away with with exclusion exclusion and and targeting because it's not going to serve any purpose
0: Yeah, yeah. So coming to the health index, what we were talking about—the global hunger index—that we were, you know, that was in the news sometime back. Just to give you a a broad overview, it contains four indicators. It is it is normalized over four key indicators. One is the undernutrition, which measures calorie intake uh, itself. Two is child mortality, which is self-explanatory—that is, number of deaths. uh, I mean, number of children who do not survive till their fifth uh, birthday and child wasting now child wasting is children below five years who have low weight when uh, relative to their height the child wasting and child stunting are more nuanced measures right so you're comparing height to weight Um, in child wasting it is low weight relative to height and in child stunting it is low height relative to their other parameters. Like we've just uh, mentioned earlier in the show that we have seen that uh, in India, we are seeing stunting making a comeback and scholars are worried about this phenomenon. So yeah, so these are the four key indicators and these are normalized and you get an average. Now, what this average actually says is that, you know, uh, overall, we have moved from 38.5 to 28.8 in 20- 2012, and in uh, 2021, it is 27.5. Um, how does this uh, correspond or correlate to the NH- uh, NFHS data? Would you have some idea or two
1: on that? Uh, right so 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 i mean first I'll, I'll just sort of you know talk about global hunger index so you have rightly pointed out that there are four indicators that are involved in calculating global hunger index undernourishment, wasting stunting and mortality so if you see that uh and and these uh, there are i mean they have weighted averages and these weighted averages go and you know and then we calculate that particular index even so Although it's called as hunger index, it's not literally hunger, it's it's not talking about hunger per se, but it is actually talking about uh, nutritional status of the children of that particular country. And it is a proxy of, of how well a country is doing, because it is one of the most important indicator, right? So that's where, th- that's a sort of a slight a distinction between the term and the perception perception that comes okay. from that term, Okay. right. The latest NFHS-5 data, although it has, although the latest NFHS data, uh, the repo, there are only 22 states that have, you know, uh, uh, they have published uh, reports only from 22 states. This kind of uh, corroborates uh, the Global Hunger Index kind of corroborates uh, these the report the, the study the sort of analysis or the statistics that have come from these 22 states because stunting basting and undernutrition have increased by 12 13 or 16 percent i'm not sure about these percentage but i think these these are the these are the sort of you know numbers for these and they have increased and it's it's, it's alarming because you know, although i mean this is i mean these are the decades of of high economic growth relatively i would say but uh, and and you have a very sort of elaborate welfare architecture but at the same time you have these indicators that are quite alarming stunting and malnutrition some states have have increased significantly and uh, and when i was just re- i was reading the report i couldn't help but recall what arjun subramaniam wrote a few months ago about strange welfare architecture of india so, I mean, and I've spoken about this in, in, in all previous, in some of the previous episodes as well. Uh, so the new welfare architecture of India is designed in a way that the state or the government is able to provide some targeted private goods, such as bank accounts or yes, gas cylinders, cylinders connections, mm. or right? right. So uh, some of these private goods are being sort of being provided to, to the citizens really very well. But other frontiers such as public health, you know, uh, nutrition, child nutrition, education on those fronts, we are lacking behind. And the reason being, because these private goods are easy to deploy, easy to monitor and tangible also. Exactly. They are tangible and they are visible also. I mean i mean a few i think yesterday or or day before yesterday the one of the congress leaders she was in uttar pradesh and she said that you know if if the congress would make the government then they would provide what scooties and and, and i think tablets or laptops or something i mean good I mean, this is good uh, because it has some benefits, and and some of the benefits can be seen from that bicycle distribution scheme of Bihar, and it is a well researched scheme. But beyond that, we are not we are not we are not able to go beyond that. We are not ensuring that these girls to whom you are providing scooties are not anemic. They are, you know, they yeah, are well-fed. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: absolutely. They, animate, right? absolutely. Yeah, and, and, also, and the nutrition indicators. Yeah.
0: yeah, the also there is a huge opportunity cost to this because you're giving out private goods. You are allocating all your funds over there. Your budgetary allocations towards ICDS or any of PDS, making the PDS system, you know, more you know more widespread or making bringing out more efficiencies within that is going to reduce, right? Because once you do this, there is less money to be spent on other things. So, I mean, and all this data that we have here is pre-COVID, right? And COVID has, I mean, based on the pre-COVID data is where, what they're getting out these uh, numbers. Now, COVID has only made the situation worse. And if we do a study, I mean, or if we do one of the, any kind of study, it's it's really going to show us, you know, the reality that we know but the numbers will be even you know bleak so what can we do as policy analysts what are the suggestions that we can make towards i mean this is going to be a long drawn process it's not something that can be solved for in the next one year or two years it requires a longer term horizon so is there anything that you have that you think that policy uh how policymakers can change these things to, you know, uh, make this to move the needle at least a little on this.
1: I think so. Uh, uh, I think uh, Suman, the first thing that the policymakers or the political actors, because that's where the entire sort of policy is is, focused, is centered. That's the epicentered. I think they should they should get away with the focus of these targeted private goods and and you know uh, start delivering on public goods that have a widespread public impact and and that 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 builds human capital in our country so that's that's the bare minimum thing that they can do second as you rightly said that because of covid-19 because of pandemic most of the supply chain sort of infrastructure through which some of these sort of food schemes or nutritional schemes were delivered they got they have been affected Uh, disrupted absolutely so we need to go back and 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 start plugging plugging the the holes there and start sort of transforming and and reforming some of those schemes when there was a you know in 2020 right after the first pandemic thousands and thousands of migrant workers started walking on streets because the first sort of you know the first trigger was the food security uh they were worried about the food security because they they can't afford food or or other sort of you know living cost basic uh, basic uh necessities in there and there was no support system in fact it was a civil society organizations and 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 good samaritans who who stepped in and 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 you know dug that hole there should have been scheme or a policy that could have taken that could that could have taken care of these migrant workers nutritional kind of sort of you know status so there are several things that that the state or the policy makers can do um and and uh, i think uh, there are a lot of good sort of ideas up out there and they just need to sort of go out and reach out to those experts and and researchers who have done uh, uh, you know, uh, amazing job in in studying and researching these uh, topics and, and and get their ideas while while uh, designing their policies. Yeah.
0: So all these indices, whatever ease of doing business, global hunger index, or something else, they are just they just point us to a certain you know certain direction or so. But when we make that you know that as a target, then we are losing you know, we are losing the big picture, the broad picture. So like, as somebody said, when a measure becomes a target, it just ceases to be a good measure. So I think we can, you know, end with saying that this is a chronic problem, needs to be addressed at, you know, priority, needless to say. But the indices just help with pointers and the work on the ground needs to just continue as,
1: you know, with greater rigor. Would you give your closing thoughts? Uh, no I, I think absolutely. So of course one index or, or one uh, number of statistics shouldn't drive our policies or, or shouldn't help us change the way we look at at a particular issue. But there are several other factors uh, that we have spoken in this uh, episode. Uh, We need to focus on those factors. Uh, They may not directly impact uh, the nutrition status or hunger status. They may not impact in next four, five or 10 years, but it may impact in 15 or 20 years because most of these things are intergenerational.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Apur. Thank you for joining us and we'll catch you in another episode. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashilainst or our website takshashila.org.in.